All right. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Brian Wiggs. Brian, are you ready to share with some quality people? I sure am. All right. Perfect. Well, Brian, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I'd love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Yeah, I'll start a quote with uh, from Simon Sinek. It's a uh, leader's job is not to do the work of others. It's to help others figure out how to do it themselves to get things done and to succeed beyond what they thought possible. And if I add to that a different quote from uh, Michael and Freddie Ballet from their book, The Lean Manager. Uh, it says the lean manager is not it's about creating a system to make people think. It's about making people before making things and better thinking leads to better products or obviously us in healthcare services. Um, and then, so that really speaks to me because another thing that they say in this same book is, you know, or actually could be in his first book, The Goal of Mine, is lean is all about people. Um, so, you know, obviously we know healthcare is a socio-technical system. So is um, lean um, in being a socio-technical system. And I think what tends to happen um, is a lot of times we have more emphasis on that technical piece. So there's a lot of times we're more focused on the process and the tools and we tend, this tends to be a little out of balance and we're not really focusing on the people part. Um, so you know, there's gotta be some balance there. So I like to have that, keep that in my mindset and we'll go into some of my experiences um, during our discussion today to kind of emphasize that point. But what I try to do every single day is try to think about how I can make my team better. Um, how can I help move them from firefighting to you know, solving problems? Um, and on what really, in order to do that, I also need to make sure that I'm the coach that they need. Um, so, you know, each day, how can I also be a better coach? You know, one thing that I found that's been very helpful, um, it's not going to actually be the book that I recommend later on, but one that I definitely also recommend is Become the Change from John Toussaint and Kim Barnes. And actually, this, this first I'm going to talk about is uh, Self-Assessment for Fundamental Behaviors of Lean Leaders. It first came out in an article he published with Susan Ehrlich of five changes great leaders make to develop, uh, develop an improvement culture in the New England Journal of Medicine and Catalyst. Um, but it's this radar chart where it has these different fundamental behaviors, the willingness, which is all that reflection, humility, curiosity. So it's a great way to do a self-assessment um, as a coach. And I, I, always, I always have an A3 open to make sure that I'm also, you know, developing as a coach that I can help people um, really focus more on that social side of change. Because in the end, you know, it's not, we can go and do a project and focus on like maybe, in, you know, inpatient discharge. And I can show, I can do a process map for, I can walk you through all these different tools. But in the end, are the tools going to make the change or is it the people? And it's the people. So that's where I like to focus is how am I actually developing people? How am I structuring problem solving within an organization? So I, I personally love just that mindset. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm a Six Sigma person turned lean person. So mm -hmm. my, my roots and all of my background came from Six Sigma. But, you know, when I talk about lean, that's the number one thing I talk about. It's all about the people. Um, but I'm so a couple of things, Brian, just before we really get into your show here um, with one of the team members that I'm mentoring right now, um, we are both working on our personal A3s and to your other points about just developing yourselves, being the best coach possible. 
Um, I was inspired by my mentor who's taken this journey with a personal A3, and I am literally working on mine right now. So I just want to highlight that early for our listeners. Um, look into any content from John Toussaint about personal A3s. There's some really good videos, his new book that you just mentioned. Um, but then, Brian, we just got on and you were talking about some of the guests that I've had on the show mm-hmm. recently. Um, this is going to come out before our conversation right here today, but I just had John Toussaint as a guest. So um, again, just the way all the stars are aligning with these conversations, lean is about the people. We have to continuously develop ourselves, tools like personal A3s, and then other great leaders um, like John Toussaint, like yourself, Brian, you know, all kind of in this mindset. I think we we got some really special conversations going on with this podcast and really for the industry at large. So just want to connect all of those dots and say, again, I love the mindset. Yeah, and those personal A3s are very powerful tools. You know, I, early on and when I got exposed to Lean, you know, my sensei at the time, ex, you know, showed me what this personal A3 is about. And I was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I kind of saw it as like this to-do item before he came back on site in his monthly visits. Um but now later on, you know, as, as like any other thing that he taught me along the way, it's like it took years. So I was like, oh, yeah, I know he was talking back back in those days. I get it now. Um, but just that power, because I know a big piece of the personal A3 is self-reflection. And just sitting down and like really thinking about, OK, truthfully, Brian, am I really showing this behavior here? Um, and then having those people that you trust to actually tell you whether or not you're actually exhibiting those behaviors. Um, it's just really powerful. Awesome. Well, this, this conversation is probably going to be a problem already. Cause I'm like, man, <laughs> we're already off. Not even the first question we are, I know. Script, but uh, I know. No, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Brian, let's get into it, man. I, yeah. I, you know, am excited just to reconnect with you. It's been a few years. We had mm-hmm. the the opportunity to be in grad school together back at UNC and you've pushed it so much further than than even you know a number of years ago since we both graduated but um, go ahead and give us a, a quick introduction to you um, you know share with us your current role professional background and absolutely what led you into this career path yeah so we'll start with where I'm at now I um, I'm with the, the department UNC Department of Family and Medicine in Chapel Hill part of school of medicine also part of the health system. Uh, we are, I think the last rankings the U.S. News and World Report had, had our residency program, family medicine residency program, ranked number three in the country. Uh, we currently have, we're like an organization within an organization. Uh, we have three clinics in urgent care. We're about to start another urgent care, open another urgent care this fall. Uh, we have an inpatient service and a maternal child health program. We have about 20,000 attributed patients with over 70,000 visits a year, and about 70 faculty and residents. So they actually started their <clears throat> lean transformation in 2014. Um, and they were actually the model line for the UNC Medical Center in Chapel Hill. And of course, as with any culture change, it's, if you look at read all the literature and the books are out there, there's a certain year three, something happens, everybody kind of hits the wall. Um, so they kind of lost their way a little bit, um, but that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming in to help get them back on track and to keep moving forward. Um, to go way back to kind of explain how I got into all this, um, I'll tell a little bit of personal story about me and my family. You know, I kind of help explain why I'm in this crazy business that I'm in. Um, so my older brother, um, 
he has cerebral palsy and he needs 24 seven care. He can't walk, he can't talk. He, he just, he needs that 24 seven uh, care. And the reason that he has the condition cerebral palsy that he has is because of medical error when my mom was in labor. Um, I don't know the complete story. I honestly, I haven't really researched it myself because you know, there was obviously a court case and my parents just don't want to talk about it. Um, but his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck when she was laboring. It's just that whole squeeze cheese kind of model. You know, things happen. So that once I didn't really know lean, um, wasn't really exposed to that or continuous improvement until we actually were in grad school. I, it probably was Larry Manicor's class. I forgot even what it was called, which, by the way, if you haven't seen him in a while, he is rocking a mullet. It is fantastic. Um, but that's really where I started to get exposed to and understand it. But the way I, I actually bring this story up when I'm coaching others or I'm actually kind of giving orientation to continue to prove it because the perception out there, I know I'm speaking to the choir, sometimes when we introduce this to people, especially say the lean word, you usually get, oh, is this like a weight loss program or are you going to cut staff? Like, no, it's, it's, it's about how can we make care better for our patients? And at the same time, how can we make the working part better for our staff? And I share my story. And, and try to tie that, you know, my personal mission is I don't want anybody, any patient or family coming into our hospital or our healthcare organization and leaving worse off than what they came in, which has been my family story. Because, you know, we, when we talk about the different ways in healthcare to one, we usually talk about versus defect when something doesn't happen right the first time, which can have direct you know, patient harm. That's what happened to us. And even now, 39 years later, we are still feeling the effects of a medical error that happened that long ago. Um, and, you know, on top of that, and, you know, getting more personal, my, let's just see the long-term effects that this has, you know, my father never really, I don't think ever came to grips with it. And so he has been battling alcoholism his whole life um, because of this. And, you know, they just had, my parents just had a, a nasty divorce. And so it's just, you really to understand and is that why we do what we do, at least for me, is to prevent stuff like this from happening. So that's kind of my personal mission um, to how can I make healthcare delivery better? How can we make quality and safety better? Because if you focus on those things while developing people, everything else just goes just you're going, you're going to see but you know lower costs, you're going to see better efficiencies, engagement. That that will come if you focus on the right thing. Um, so that's just my own little personal story. So, but before I got exposed to, to lean, I always thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, I went my undergrad at East Carolina. Um, I thought first I was going to be a physician assistant. So I did the, my bachelor's degree in clinical laboratory science. I thought it was a great way to get exposed and to work towards applying to med school one day. Um, and then when I graduated from ECU, I kind of graduated on Friday and then moved to Chapel Hill um, over the weekend and started in the lab, a microbiology lab at the medical center in Chapel Hill. And by maybe the second or third month, I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to work in healthcare. I want to work on healthcare, which is kind of a crazy thing for somebody that's 21 year old, 21 years old saying. Um, so over time I get, I went back and, you know, got my master's degree at UNC. And then I, that's where I was exposed to lean. And even when um, I graduated the MHA, I did a, a lean six sigma certificate through Villanova and really started getting exposed. It was again, kind of Six Sigma heavy. And so I started, I tried to start my own Six Sigma program, uh, Lean Six Sigma program within the lab at uh, UNC Rex, which is in Raleigh. 
and people were like, well, this guy's crazy. Don't, what is he, what's he doing? Um, but you know, we, it was, it was fun to try to, I was, you know, I obviously was flying the plane. I was building the plane while I was flying. And I, you know, I was very early. I, I was in my understanding what all this was and I was trying to figure it out by doing it. Um, but I, I, the opportunity actually came up at Chatham Hospital, which is also part of UNC and it's their only critical access hospital. And it's in Salisbury, City, North Carolina, which is in the middle of the state, rural. And they were starting to undergo a lean transformation. And the reason that it got started up was there's, there's a resurgence of rural hospitals closing. And the North Carolina Hospital Association, um, working the Duke Endowment for grant money or support, I decided they would start a lean collaborative for rural hospitals to try to expose these hospitals to lean principles and thinking as a way to help maybe get ahead of um, financial risk that these, some of these hospitals are getting into. And so we, we had, it was simpler, which I think IBM now owns simpler these days, um, but that was our coaching support. That's where I had a sensei. Um, and that's really, obviously that's where I really got in, started learning all of this, um, you know, leading change. And, you know, for the first, Three years we were doing well, and I will we'll go into more about Chatham's story as, as our discussion unfolds. But that's what kind of led me to where I'm at now. Is um, I uh, got to a point where I think I, you know it was time for me for their own you know learning and continuing progression. It was time for me to move on um, to better things and bring in a fresh coach. Well, you know, Brian, I, I'll say I mean a couple of things just with so much of the story you shared. You know, yeah. I. I hate to hear the story of, you know, the defects of healthcare. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's the blessing that got you on this path, because from my point of view, we need more leaders with that same personal touch and that passion for changing it. Um, but I'm so sorry for the impact that it's had on your family as a whole. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I love this podcast, because we don't get to hear stories like that on a normal basis. So um, just know your story has moved me, um, and I hope that it really moves everybody that that plugs in with this conversation. Um, the other part of it, too, um, I've been knocking on the door to get Larry into this onto this podcast yeah. for a while. So help you. Next time you see him, just just oh, yeah. plant the seed. Uh, we were actually just emailing a, about a week ago um, mm -hmm. on something totally different, but just, you know, uh, more good people. So I, I remember back when we were in grad school together, I was like, you know, I didn't realize Brian was doing this kind of work, but clearly it happened after our time together in, in grad yeah. school. Um, but yeah, again, I'm just glad that you found this, um, you know, this itch for improving yeah. healthcare, not just working in healthcare. So yeah. just wanted to. Yeah, I wish, that. I wish when we were in grad school, then I knew what you were doing as well. I think it was like I mentioned, it was, I, I was learning as I was going. So I don't, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's, that's still a case today. But yeah. yeah. Well, that that's part of that ongoing journey to make sure we're developing the right way. So mm -hmm. um, no, Brian, thank you for, for walking us through that. Let me move you to our next question because it's still kind of taking us in that path of extreme reflections where I love for you to just take us on a journey to a moment in your career path um, that you would consider still your best moment of failure. We'd love for you to share that story with us, uh, but most importantly, share with us what did you take from that moment? Yeah, I think, you know, I can't remember the year. Uh, I want to say it was 2017. I think it was late summer, spring 2017. Um, 
I was actually facilitating the value stream analysis. And the team, this team, this area that we're working in, they were well known for being, yeah, constantly needing coaching on data analysis paralysis. Um, and, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, um, as they were going through this whole data, you know, data spiral and we were getting behind on the goals that we we're having for that day during the event, I kind of raised my voice. I, don't, I hope it didn't come across as yellow, but I think it did. Um, just to move the group along, it was definitely not professional, especially as a coach. I'm trying to, I'm also on the role model um, for the behaviors and actions and traits that we want to actually see within our culture. Um, so I kind of, you know, I removed myself from, luckily I had coaches with me and I kind of removed myself from the situation. But upon reflection later, um, that little bit of an outburst was actually a culmination of me being burned out from leading change. And Jarvis, my, um, my first four years leading chain at Chatham, I was a department of one. Um, I would come in early. I would work till five. I would go home. I would eat dinner. And I would continue working until 11 o'clock midnight. And I, you know, I would even work through the weekends. Um, you know, I wasn't taking PTO or vacation. You know, I, I just did not consider my own well-being. Um, As you can already see from my story I shared earlier, I absolutely love this work and I'm very passionate about it, but I was not putting boundaries on making sure that I actually have had like work-life balance. You know, what was hard with it all too was, you know, I, I had this vision of where I wanted to take the organization and it just felt, and then a lot of senior leadership was also, the hospital was looking to me to help guide that, you know, not me solely, but you know, at helping them. And I just felt that it just felt that pressure on my shoulders at all times where as normal, you normally have in a transformation, you'll have successes, but you also have failures. You know, the only key, as you mentioned earlier, what are you learning from it? And I didn't see that. And I, I thought that failures that we were running into was actually a personal failure. I was just too attached to it. Um, so, yeah, you know, and then obviously with burnout, you know, your, pat, your, your flame of passion starts to fade a little bit as well. And so, you know, after, after this incident and coming to self-realization, I sought out a coach um, to help me with this. And, and as I mentioned earlier about the, the self-reflection that John Toussaint had presented in his book in a conference way back, actually same, same year, 2017, um, I used that and just a simple exercise of self-reflection to help understand understand what my limits are, you know, kind of making sure getting just reintroducing like what my drive was, what my purpose was, and kind of knowing where I needed to improve. That was really helpful helpful for me to kind of give boundaries to myself um, to understand that you can't go you can't go further than the organization is ready for um, to meet people where they're at. And that in the end, you I mean you are the coach. You know you want to push, but in the end, it's, it's the leaders. They 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 are the ones who own this. They're the ones who um, need to be in the driver's seat when it comes to where we're going with this. And I'm there to help. Them. So just understanding that. And what was also helpful too was just getting back out to the gimba and just talking to staff. Like not even having a goal, just getting out there, talking to staff. Um, and then just have it just wait, you know, in simple conversation, those little coaching moments pop up, um, that you can just, you know, pounce on 
and you can see people with their, their eye, you, know, you can see in their eyes that they're, the, the wheels are going and you know, you're, they're coming up with an idea they want to experiment with. And that just reinvigorated me. Um, so I just, that I, there's, I mean, there's a lot of failures I could talk about, you know, I think I, I don't remember it was my sensei to say this, or if it was my book, uh, one of the a book I read in the past, but one advice that I see God was, you know, when you're leading change like this, you're going to be ha- wrong half the time. The key is when you're, when is that half the time you're wrong? Are you learning from it? Um, so I just think it's, I like this, this example, because I'm now in a situation where I'm a department of one again, but I feel like, you know, I've learned from that um, to set boundaries and just with everything going on with COVID and now, with the resurgence of Delta, you know, people are burnt out. And I think this is just, you know, we, a lot of stuff is out of our control, especially with the pandemic, but are we taking care of ourselves? Um, and that has been my key learning. Luckily when all that was happening, you know, I, you know, I was, I was talking to you before that we started recording that, you know, I recently got married in May. Um, now, I, now luckily back then I, you know, we haven't, we we're probably just dating, but now that I have her with, you know, as, you know, permanent part piece of my life and she's also somebody that can keep me in line um i put those boundaries in place yeah or she to close that computer if nothing else yeah oh she's told me that before <laughs> now brian you know that that is a fantastic story um hopefully one again that i think our audience needs to hear it's one that for me so i i had the i don't know the the fortune or the misfortune of kind of having my burnout moment Actually, before I came into healthcare, because I worked in the electric utilities, I started the year down in Florida where we got hit by Hurricane um, uh, Hurricane Charlie was the first hurricane. And then that entire summer, we got hit with four more hurricanes. And so we mm-hmm. worked 16 hour days, six days a week from August until almost like halfway or almost through the end of November. And that was it. We weren't allowed to take time off. I was fresh out of school making more money than I would have imagined, but I never had time to spend it. Mm-hmm. Never saw my wife, you know, it was like mm-hmm. all of that. So, so I think I learned at an early age to your, to your learning to set boundaries. Right. And that was the last time I allowed myself to get that strung out over a job. Um, yeah. But what I also like and kind of took away from your story was the power of reflecting Again, whether it's through the personal development, the personal A3 process, Um, you know, Brian, I recently stepped out of corporate and I'm running my own business now. And even to this day, I mean, I still reflect on the things I'm doing, but I'll I'll share with you really quickly because I keep them right up here on my wall. Mm -hmm. So my daily reflections, four questions. What fear did I confront today? Mm. Um, What did I get done today? What am I grateful for? And what can I thank me for? Because I found just, you know, I'm kicking my butt every single day trying to understand am I doing the right things? Am I doing it well enough? And just that very last one is actually my favorite one. What can I thank me for? Like I have to give myself a pat on the back for, you know, just pushing harder, pushing further and and give myself credit. So um, again, I I share all that because hopefully, again, there are some folks that are going to plug in with this conversation that need to hear it. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, you know, we're, we're always a team of one in many cases mm-hmm. as process quality improvement. So if you're struggling on that end or if you're just burning it, you know, 16 plus hours a day to try to keep up with the pace of everything, just, you know, reflect, give yourself some grace, 
you know, make sure you have a partner or somebody you can lean on that's going to force you to turn the computers off, nothing else. Yeah. So. Well, I'm definitely going to steal those questions. Those are, those are good daily reflection questions. Yeah. You no. know, when, and then the only other, one other key point I'll make, and then we, we could probably move on, is, um, you know, be for all those listeners that are also transformation leaders, when I would, would go home and then start working again, obviously back then I was sending emails. So what do you think happened? People would start responding to it. And the next thing you know, there's all these emails flying on business stuff like way after six or seven o'clock. So this whole conversation of boundaries, remember that when you're in a, you know, you're in kind of a leadership role like we are, you are all, you're role modeling. And so if we're trying to coach our leaders or staff um, or our people on, you know, getting a balance, work-life balance, you know, are we, are we doing that too? Or are we sending mixed messages? Practice what you preach, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, Brian, let's dig up out of there for um, this next question that I have for you. Um, I'd love if you could share with our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building up intimate connections on the teams that you lead. Share with us what it is and how do you apply it? The, the tactic or tip, tip I'll give, and the tactic is, I, what I try to do is like personal, is personalized work. Um, so it's either, I, I do this in several places, but I will do it like an orientation to continuous improvement class, but I also like to do it um, when we're starting a team project sometimes, but just asking two questions at the very beginning. Uh, why did you want to work in healthcare? And make, it's like an individual exercise on sticky notes first. Um, but thinking about why did you want to work in healthcare and then what happens day to day that makes you lose sight of that? And just having that time, maybe five minutes or so to brainstorm that or write it down or think about it and then kind of share it in the group. And then I would then kind of give like a classroom or, you know, discussion of what if anybody wants to share. Um, and what I found is that really for people that are coming into a team or they're yeah, somebody will send them to like a lean orientation class. They're already, they're kind of skeptical. Uh, I mean, what is this? Um, but starting off with that and, you know, hearing other people and their purpose and their frustration, it really helps to kind of like get rid of that little bit of a barrier and to kind of think about this in a different way. Um, it, I, I found it really helpful in engaging people's hearts and minds, you know, and, and another thing that I've carried on um, since my early career in continuous improvement, our sensei, I may, when I was at Chatham, made sure that we had a banner in front of the room when we were doing you know, your typical Kaizen events. And then I just made sure I had it where any other project that I did, but having a banner in the room that just says, what's best for the patient. So when you're having these moments of maybe two different groups of stakeholders, maybe you're doing like an admission project, you have your ED nurses and then your inpatient nurses, maybe they're disagreeing over something. If you could bring them back to that one simple question, it kind of helps to like get down those barriers and really try to personalize and really think about the implications of what we're trying to do. So that's, that's one simple tag that I use. Um, I think, yeah, and then obviously then the piggyback on that, then when you, if you are doing projects, always make sure if you can to get patients on the team, um, because it's when you have that, the whole conversation, conversation, the whole mood and tone completely changes. 
And people start to see past the numbers, past the metrics, past the different tools we're using to really think about people's lives and how we're trying to impact it um, for the better. Now, those are fantastic insights again. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll kind of start with that last one first, but what I've experienced from having real patients on real projects is you're going to get some of the most honest and blunt feedback <laughs> that oh, yes. you could ever. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've, I've literally had patients like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? You know, when they're they're giving their thoughts about the different ideas. Um, so absolutely quality people, if you can yeah. manage to get patients um, plugged into your projects, that's a yeah. no brainer um, to your idea about the banner on the wall. Is it best for the patient? So my version of that brand that I've used, mm -hmm. literally, I, I keep a picture of my grandmother in my wallet and I've pulled it out and I've put it on the wall and said, you know, same concept as we're coming up with ideas for improvement. Is this good for my grandmother? And I, I make it very personal, right? Um, and, it, and it resonates with everybody else in the meeting. So whether it's a banner or literal pictures of family members or staff members that have been patients, I think those are great strategies. Um, and then your first question, you know, I can see you using that as a fantastic icebreaker. Mm -hmm. And I can really see that pulling folks together because all of us have our whys, but when our whys, you know, when we share those whys um, and, and, you know, knock down all the barriers between us or, you know, I can be supportive of your why, you can be supportive of my why. I can see those being really good icebreakers amongst a brand new team. So just wanted to give you kudos, man. I, I love all three of those. I hope those yeah. resonate very well with the audience. Yeah, what's really great about those two questions of the icebreaker is like, it doesn't happen all the time, but you, we all have a purpose. Some people want to help. And then some people have, you know, experiences like me and my family. And, and I've been in different situations where people actually bring that story up and it, it already puts, you know, somebody was willing to be vulnerable with us. And just that, it just really helps the team kind of get to the, the, the forming and norming really quickly, quicker than, 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 you know, the typical way if we didn't have that, those kind of stories, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, I've seen quite a bit of success with it. Awesome. No, I love it. Um, next question I have for you then, mm -hmm. I would love if you could take us to one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader, but again, you know, walk us through the scenario how did the idea strike you? But most importantly, if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yeah, so the aha moment I have, it was back when I was working at Chatham. And this is the whole, you know, put the, the headline up front is this is where I started to, the experience I'm going to share with everybody is, was where I started to understand the social side of what we were doing with Lean Transformation. So <clears throat> the first three years, it was, we were, we were doing a lot of value stream improvement and we were starting to tip our toes in the winter when it comes to Hoshin planning, trying to figure out what the strategic alignment deployment looked like for the hospital. Um, but we just, you know, the first three years we did good stuff. I mean, we had uh, critical access hospitals were able to have swing beds and that literally was the one, we did a project on increasing the, <clears throat> the volumes there using A3 thinking. And that basically saved the hospital. Um, 
So with that, we did a lot of work in the inpatient where we did great one core, we took our core measures and we were good, you know, consistently 100% on them. We increased the inpatient um, satisfaction from like the 67th percentile to 92nd. So we were doing these great things. Then we just, you know, I'll use it, for, I'm a marathon runner. So we, it's kind of like me in mile 21, we just hit the wall around 2015. Um, we were not making breakthrough improvement anymore. And, and the improvements that we were making there was regression happening. People were kind of going back into old habits. Um, it, it was just really hard. So we had this kind of retreat with our sensei at the time, trying to think about, so what, what do we need to do? And that was when they, they you know, let me go up to ThetaCare um, up in Alveston, Wisconsin, and to do one of their workshops about their management system. So I went up there with some colleagues uh, from a primary care practice that was on our campus. And that was like, it was just an eye of an experience. First off, Theta Care for people like us was like a theme park um, with everything that they were doing. But I, re but, you know, listen to education and actually seeing like a huddle, for example, in person, and then really thinking about our plane was delayed coming back. So we had to stay over in Green Bay to, one night before coming back to North Carolina and even gave me more time to just like think. Um, so I came back and I had a meeting with our CNO, CFO and CEO just said, Hey, I know what direction we need to take and kind of laid out like we need to start to integrate this into how we manage the organization. Um, and I was like, and they were very receptive and they, you, know, you could see the light bulb start to go off their head a little bit too. And I was like, I know where I need to go. Would, would y'all trust you? We are, we, we willing to experiment with some things and, Luckily, they gave me, they all nodded in head and said, yeah, let's try something. So, you know, we had uh, a planning process to figure out, so what would be the Chatham business system for us? Um, so we actually record, uh, we actually uh, did a reverse fishbone. Have you ever done one of those before? I've not. No. So you're, you're about to teach me something new, Brian. Come on. <laughs> I don't think it's groundbreaking, but um, <laughs> so, you know, your regular fishbone, you got the gap or the problem at the, at the head of the diagram, right? So the reverse fishbone is the target or ideal state at the head. And then with the different categories, then you can start thinking about, so what, what will we need to actually achieve that target state? Um, and we had, if I can remember my, my mind correctly, we had strategy alignment as a bucket, leadership, that people don't think it was one. I can't remember all of them. Um, but we came up with this like draft of like what <clears throat> a business system looked like. So, you know, we, then we decided, well, okay, well, let's go. I was trying to direct them to a specific area where we could just one area within the hospital that we can go and pile this. And of course, my CEO at the time, he was like gung ho. He was like, let's go do it all. We were trying to do like six or seven departments at the same time. We only have like 12. Um, <laughs> in the whole hospital. Um, so of course that didn't go so well. Um, but again, we learned from it. And so what we decided to do is, you know, as we have these guiding principles, it was, uh, uh, you, uh, I have to pull it up. Um, there we go, Uni unifying mission. So kind of like strategy was a guiding principle, transparency, A3 thinker, continuous improvement, and then people development. So we kind of set, these are our guiding principles and we use a, uh, a framework that Cleveland Clinic used, but I went to, I think it was a Shino conference I went to, where they actually had underneath the guiding principles, how could you as a staff member contribute to me and those guiding principles? So we kind of brainstormed that. But what we did is we selected ED, med surge, and patient access to really kind of 
pilot and figure this system out. Because what was happening, um, and actually when I got back from Thetacare, I kind of drew out kind of like current state. Uh, it was stick figures. There was nothing to be blown away about. Um, but the key was we had two management systems within the hospital going at the same time. We had your typical day-to-day operations of the hospital and strategy with its own goals, set of goals and, and initiatives. And then there was lean. And it had its own separate goals and its initiatives, and they were not aligned. And staff were in the middle, and they were being pulled in two different directions. And obviously, as you know, department directors and senior leaders and middle managers, where are you going to focus your attention on? What you're actually getting evaluated on, um, among other things. So we tried started that process of aligning that and picking those three areas I mentioned. The reason for that was they're both uh, they're all twenty four seven department. Um, and two obviously were clinical and then one non-clinical and the reason for patient another reason for patient access where we just had a new cfo start with us and he was very open to learning this so i was like we'll, we'll quickly engage him right away um so the beauty of this whole thing was the staff in those areas developed the system i we i coach but it was them that came up with the system um you know, we really focused more on the daily improvement management system piece of it. So not only did they help us develop those guiding principles I mentioned, they came up with like the purpose statement was, they developed um, what does rounding look like for leaders, um, Kamishibai and implementing that, and also then an improvement huddle. Um, we started off with having daily improvement huddles and then we realized actually that doesn't work for our culture. So we had, I mean, if you look at the hospital from a thousand three hundred foot level, it is still daily because something's happening every day. But for different departments and workflows, it may be daily, it may be every every other day, once a week. But um, but a piece of that was having like management for daily improvement on the board. So if they had specific goals, how are they actually you know, like door to dock for for example in the ED, having that daily goal. And if we're not meeting it, once you see a trend, can we come up with countermeasure? And another big piece of that was then having um, an idea section so the staff can give ideas. Um, so over time, over since we got that going, uh, we, we spread throughout the rest of the hospital. We then added a strategy piece to it. I don't think we ever got to where we wanted to with potion planning before I uh, took another opportunity, but we were definitely making a lot of progress on that. So just to give you, and I know I'm, there's a whole lot more detail here. I, can, I love talking about this, what we did there. Uh, we, you know, we, we even uh, developed our own internal lean education program. I developed the lean leadership coaching program, started to take what Tucson has with his, you know, behavioral assessment and trying to figure out how to use that with, with the personal development plan process for our leaders. Um, but just to give you an idea of what we were able to do after about two years into this, uh, we were able to improve our employee engagement from the 13th percentile in 2012 to about the 85th in 2018. Uh, we scored higher than a national benchmark for statements like I am involved in decisions that affect my work and this organization cares about quality improvement. You know, it, it even got a comment when Press Gaining was giving us the, the results for employee engagement, like, how are you guys doing this? Because we don't really see the score that high usually. Um, we received a five-star rating from CMS for patient experience for like 17 straight quarters. Um, the, patient, the patient experience scorecard that came out at UNC 
for a while was known as the Chatham scorecard because we were just nailing it um, on every single dimension. Uh, we had, and knock on wood, this is still the case today from what, I've, from what I know, zero caudine clapsy. Now I think it's over four years. Um, and just in the first year and a half of doing those improvement huddles, we had over 800 improvement ideas implemented. So what was really cool was once we really got this idea process going, uh, really going, because it took, it was crickets there for a while, a lot of these departments that were just starting because staff were like, wait, you want to know what I think? Okay, well, is, is there something behind this that you're going to get me on? Or, But once they, we kind of broke through that and ideas just started flooding out, we actually started doing less week-long events. Um, and because I think staff were actually doing things in real time and experimenting. And so when we actually had events, it was on something that was like strategically important for the hospital that went across multiple um, departments and value streams. So that, I mean, I can keep, I can go on for days about this. I mean, we even had sort of having like people from all over UNC, even outside UNC coming to us and like, what are you guys doing? Um, but that, just that key insight, because I think what we did, we were pushing the technical side, we were pushing the process, we were pushing the tools. And then when we started playing around with the system and trying to figure out what this looks like for us, the focus now shifted to culture. Let's focus on that. I don't care if we do like, if we do just one project a year, that's fine. As long as let's really focus on these huddles right now. Um, so that was the key learning is to understand that technical side is very important, but making sure that there is balance there and that you are taking care of people and so, empowering them. Yeah, so I mean, again, Brian, you know, I don't know if you realize how much insight you're given to what it takes to, to have a lean journey, let alone a successful mm -hmm. lean journey in healthcare. Um, you know, as you shared that story, I'm, I, the whole time you're sharing it, my mind goes back to the first analogy you threw out, which was you're a marathon runner, you hit mile 21, you hit mm -hmm. that wall, right? At that point, the only thing that's going to get you over the next five miles is grit, right? You got to suck it in and tough it out and push. And, and that same analogy goes, I think really from my experience in healthcare, we, we talk about leadership commitment to putting all this kind of work and strategies and alignment and everything with lean and transformations in place. It takes grit and commitment to see it out consistently every single day, 365, 365, like year over year. Um, so I just want to give you kudos to that and, and connect the dots again for our audience. If you all are going through your own forms of transformations and change management, all of the above, it takes grit at the end of the day, that commitment to keep pushing. Um, Brian, could you speak to, could you speak to that? I mean, getting your leaders on board to yeah. stick with it and not, you know, falter, but I mean, I, I imagine some days it's just like a diet, right? Some days we go on the diet plan. We still want a piece of cake. We still want the pizza. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, we stay consistent enough to start achieving goals. And then we build that momentum. How'd your leadership team handle that kind of a focus or change? Yeah, you know, I, I will have to say I was spoiled. Um, I think, you know, it was what we were doing at, at Chatham, I think, there, there was definitely the right people in the right place at the right time. Um, I, you know, 
it did take coaching though, you know, um, I think when it came to, and of course, you know, I don't think I have any problem with this. Our, my CEO, who was my boss, you know, he definitely took a little bit more um, convincing um, than in coaching with this than, than the other leaders. Uh, but the thing was, is just we're experimenting. Everything we're going to try is not going to work. Like I mentioned already a couple of times. If we tried it and didn't work, why? What can we do differently next time? And then moving forward and trying something else. So I think just keeping that, but then as the coach, try, I'm always making sure that I am connecting the dots for them because I didn't do this in the first couple of years. I, it was, I, if I ever could do this all over again, I wish I would do it earlier, but understand, put myself in his shoes like what is all on his plate um, and helping him say, Hey, helping him understand that what we were doing with our transformation actually will help him to get to where he needs to go. Because on his, obviously with leaders like that, they're more, especially for like rural hospitals, they want to make sure that this place is financially sustainable because yeah. they want to make sure that the people that come to work really have a job, but then knowing if this hospital closes, that has a devastating impact on a rural community. Huge. Um, so there's just a lot of things. So just help me connect those dots and then just being that boy, a constant voice to, to kind of keep, keep the motivation going like, no, it's okay. So we're going to try something else. It's fine. Um, but I think what was really key with that is um, the ideas. I think for him, once he started seeing the ideas coming and staff, we even had a process where we had each department had a huddle board. And then in our, one of our, we had, a, we were very creative with our conference rooms at Chatham. We had two conference rooms. It was a large conference room and a small conference room. <laughs> we're, we're very creative with names. Um, but in that one large conference room, that's where all the committee meetings happen, um, medical staff meeting and some other things. So we actually put a board in there and you know, we were, the plan was to tie the strategy. Um, but there was one little section on the board where it was kind of like an escalation section where if there was ideas that were coming up from the department that actually needed, you know, someone from a different pay scale, you know, pay level to get, to get things moving, um, they, they can bring that idea up to us and we will review it in our weekly leadership meeting. Either, you know, we will take it on ourselves or we would actually provide feedback and guidance and just send the idea back. So I think that also helped is like once you start seeing, um, these ideas actually making an impact. One thing he said to me, it was probably the, one of the last performance evaluation conversations to have him before he you know, took on another CEO role, CEO role elsewhere within the healthcare system. But he just mentioned, he was like, I, there's no way to, I know there's no way to measure this, but do you feel it? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, things are changing. Like I feel a change happening and it's exciting. And so I was like, oh yeah, I yeah, because I was too so much in it. I didn't take it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You're right. I think I do feel it. Nice. Um, so I think, you know, again, I think that's also, I can probably go on for days, but that's another reason too, is if, you have, if you're a transformation leader, you're the coach, make sure you also have a coach because you also want to have that perseverance that, you know, just the, if you're trying to keep your senior leaders on board, that could that could be taxing on you too. So how, who, who do you rely on to keep you going? Um, but yeah, so awesome. No, nope. I, I probably went too it. many different places there. No, I, I love it. And even to your your very last point about the coach, I mean, LeBron James has a coach. 
Michael Jordan had a coach, right? So everybody needs a solid coach. Um, love, man, love the insights, love the experiences that you've gained in such a short amount of time as a transformational leader, man. You are doing some awesome things. Um, the uh, next question I have for you on the list here, Brian, I would love to learn what are some of the changes going on across healthcare right now that you're personally excited about and what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote and support as longevity? I would actually say the transition away from fee for service to value care. I know that I feel like that has taken a backseat as we keep, as we respond to the ongoing pandemic. Um, it's like that white, it's that elephant in the room is still there, um, but we're still so focused on, on the pandemic. Um, but I think that uh, to me, that's an exciting change because, you know, with the rise of ACOs, alternate pay models, you know, healthcare organizations are going to continue to be challenged to rethink um, the traditional healthcare delivery models that we've had, um, especially for primary care, which is where I'm at now. Um, I actually recently conducted a, um, a brief literature review as part of a proposal that I submitted to our chair to kind of get the work going again at family medicine. Um, you know, we, we, you know, the consistent themes that I found, you know, primary care obviously has less resources compared to inpatient providers, but at the same time, we're also seeing as the key to developing a healthcare system um, that, you know, it has coordinated care, higher quality, lower cost. Um, and that, which is already kind of like, whoa, you know, that, that's a big challenge. And at the same time, the majority of patients they see, I think that's one thing, I, in fact, I found was like 60% of patients have a more one or more chronic conditions and they're all constantly seen in a primary care environment. Um, so I think that's what excites me because at least I know my own looking at what family medicine has done in the past before I started working with them is a lot of focus was on clinic flow. But if we're going to like transition to a value care world, you have to really, I mean, that clinic flow is important. It always should be, but we're going to have to start thinking about the care team itself uh, and rethink that. And that to me is exciting because what I've seen in some, there's not that many literature out there, but Sutter Health was one that had a, a nice, um, Long longitudinal study, and the, the primary principal investigator is Dr. Dorothy Hong. She's now the director for the Center of Lean Engagement Research out of UC Berkeley. Um, you know, they they focused on the they did the regular things about with supplies and the foam bank and all that, but they really looked at you know co-location of the medical system and the, the provider and expanding the role of the, what I think is the most underutilized. Uh, role in primary care, the medical assistant, and expanding their role, um, you know, that giving them more like this kind of administrative task, more of that indirect care, like the in basket um, for providers, messaging, agenda setting, and all that. Um, and which they've, there's been some evidence that actually kind of does decrease provider burnout a little. I think the debate's still out, but there is some um, early evidence that shows that. So I think that that to me is what excites me because you know not only in primary care but I think for inpatient too is we were really going to have to rethink this and I think that's where quality professionals can come in and help that transition. Um, that just I think that's just an exciting thing. All right. Well, let me let me kind of turn that question around also mm -hmm. and ask how can the healthcare industry then, given you know that huge change that 
to your point, I mean, it is definitely kind of taking a backseat conversationally, but it's still out there. It's been out there for, I mean, we've been out of school, what, almost 10 years at least. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what is it that the healthcare industry itself can do to just become a more attractive place to keep pulling in ambitious, talented, you know, smart, quality professionals to either come in and start to gr- start their careers or grow their careers and help push that transition forward? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I was listening before I, you know, we talked today, I mentioned I, I, I listened to your conversation with Skip, and I think he's also right. I think we're, we're at advantage because our, compared to other industries, we have a clear mission, a clear purpose, and it's easy for people to you know, align with that. Uh, I mean, who, who doesn't want to help people? Um, and so, but, you know, in the past, when you ask someone what is quality in healthcare, they may, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before too, they'll probably like respond, well, CMS reporting or, you know, we're the primary care, we got these quality gaps, we have to close for payers. Um, those, those, those kinds of things. But so however, the last few years, I think, you know, people are starting to better understand what the true role, true role of quality is in healthcare. I know in uh, the Become the Change, a book I've already mentioned, John Toussaint here for, he's starting, they were, I'm not sure when it started, but they're starting to refer to lean now as organizational excellence um, to help convey that more accurate picture of what we are, quality professionals actually do. Um, you know, obviously we can help with quality and safety of care, but we're also able to help in so many different areas of the business, like strategy and finance and people development, and even the development of new care models, which I don't know if you had, if you talked about this with, with John Toussaint when he was on your podcast, obviously I'm after his, his <laughs> conversation with him, but, um, talk about the fourth value stream where we're getting into innovation and different plant and experimenting and developing new care models. I just think. As our healthcare system continues to transition the value, and then with all the, and on top of that, with all the disruptors like Amazon, Apple, Walmart coming in, I think healthcare is going to continue to be the destination industry for quality professionals to work in. And I'll even say it another uh, blunt and hopefully not too ambitious way: healthcare organizations will need us, uh, quality professionals, to survive as the industry progresses. So, I think that's what. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's just naturally evolving as an attractive place or destination for quality professionals. Uh, There's that, so much we can do to help. I was going to say that that only would have been, you know, kind of a cocky statement if you were like, healthcare yeah. is going to need us, but we don't need healthcare. So that's right. Well, that's true. <laughs> no, um, great insights. Love everything so far. Um, well, let me ask Brian before I move us into the next part of the show. I know we're, mm-hmm. we've hit our hour, but are you okay to continue going? I'm good. All right. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So, Brian, you're killing it right now. Again, so many great insights throughout this entire conversation. But I'm going to take a second and move us into the next part of our show. It's what I call the two minute drill, kind of my take on rapid fire Q&A. But just checking in really quickly to see if you're ready to, uh, to, to rock and roll. I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. Perfect. So, Brian, the next question I have for you is something of a two parter where I'd love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? So back in the spring, I was listening to a podcast. I hope I get the name of the right. It's Lean Sparks. I think it's Lean Smarts podcast. And it, you know, it was early morning run and I, they were, they were going to talk. The subject of the podcast was the waste in healthcare. I was like, okay, well, I kind of know that, but I was like, oh, I'll listen to it. 
Uh, but what was interesting, um, the focus turned out to be on the waste that we all know is non-utilized talent. But the way that the, um, the guy you know, talking on the podcast, the way he described it was thinking about it a different way. Whereas instead of saying non-utilized talent, it's a waste of a waste of life. Think about it that way. Where you have, when you have staff members and they're coming, they're working 40 hours or more a week, they're probably, they're definitely spending more time in the workplace than their own families, um, friends, you know, they're there. So while they're there in the workplace, are you actually engaging them? Are you actually empowering them? Are you actually making work meaningful for them? Because if you're not, you're actually just wasting a life. And I think he may have took that, the, the host of the podcast, I think that's something he may have learned from Toyota. But I thought that was like, man, this is like really insightful at a, in a 5.30 a.m. run. Um, but that's what inspires me is um, when I'm coaching someone and you see them start to connect to dots to like root causes and actually implementing a successful solution or idea. One example that really sticks out in my mind was the last time I was walk- when I was at Chatham, I was walking the leadership team through the beginnings of the strategic, new strategic plan. And we had just this one half day session where it was just like thinking about what is our strategic direction thinking about what, what should Chatham Hospital be? What should we not be? What are our community needs? Those kind of questions. They all answered it. It was like some typical responses you've seen. I took those same questions, wrote them on a flip chart and put them by every single huddle board in the hospital and gave it a week. And then I took all those responses from the staff members. They were all filled, full, filled, you know, full, excuse me, full. Um, of just thoughts and feedback. I kind of, you know, finitize them and then present them at the next meeting. So every, everything that they came up with was not, there was some similarities, but it, a lot of it was way different from what that's, that leadership team came, with, came up with. And they were like, they decided to take what they came up with and just like discard it and actually adopted what the staff came up with. Um, so that, that was a big, I could have cried. <laughs> I may have, I'm not sure, but. Um, that's really inspires me is in helping develop other people. Um, so, you know, so how do I inspire other people with my organization? I think it's just what I mentioned earlier is continuing to be a, how can I be a better coach um, so that I can actually inspire others? And that's where, again, I go back to my self-assessment PEP and the radar chart and making sure that I'm um, consistently exhibiting those behaviors. Perfect. And Brian, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Oh, my first sensei when I first started at Chatham, uh, Hal Rogers is his name. Great guy. He's retiring. Uh, and I don't know if this was his, if he made up this himself or he, he got it from somewhere else, but don't let perfect get in the way of good. Best career advice ever. It kind of aligns with what I said earlier. Don't be wrong half the time. You know, as long as you tried it, you learn from it, you move and try something else. Um, but yeah, don't let perfect get in the way of good. That is way, way easier when a, when a team starts going down a rabbit hole um, of like trying to think of different ways that this is not going to work. It's like, well, are we trying to make a, are we trying to actually make a proof or are we trying to make something perfect? Let's try something. Nice. And if you could trade jobs with anyone in the organization, with whom would it be and why? I think right now I'll go back to what I said earlier. I, uh, we are going to have um, a retreat this October to kind of, I don't want to say kickstart, but um, to really start the value care transformation push at family medicine. 
And so what I would like to do is I would want to spend more time in the shoes of our medical assistants to kind of get a better, I understand at a, not as much as I should in all their daily flow, but I want to understand more of how we can engage them better. Um, because again, I think it's just a really huge untapped resource, not only for us, but yeah, I think for a lot of the primary care world. Perfect. And I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. So I have a weekly personal reflection and planning process. I block my calendar out off for like an hour at the beginning of every Friday morning. And I have some standard work, but I always start off um, my little personal standard work with four reflection questions. Um, they are one, and I think I may have adopted this from Become the, Become the Change book. I've, I think that's where I got it from. But one, what did I do this week that, that helped my team? Uh, two, what hindered my team? Three, what did I learn this week? And then four, how would I utilize that learning or do, or do differently next week? Um, and on top of that, I don't have it with me. <laughs> As I'm also, that really helps a lot, a lot. And I use Evernote. I'm not sure you never use Evernote before. I kind of keep all my notes in there. Yeah. Um, but so that really helps me kind of plan on us personally as a coach where I need to improve over, over the next week to keep, keep that continuous improvement process going. Perfect. No, and, you know, definitely goes back to the mindset of, um, of reflecting like we were talking about, you know, at the very beginning of our conversation, but to your, to your point, And I, I think, I know I got a question in here somewhere about tools. Um, <laughs> yeah. Actually it's the, it's the very next one, but tools yeah. like Evernote um, are solid that supports that reflection process. Um, I also used um, Trello. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another one where I've learned to, you know, you could build so many different personal things in, in Trello um, and then funny enough, I've gone back to playing old paper and pencil. So with, with some of my best things that I capture on a, on a daily basis for my reflections, I keep a big journal. It's um, not in my office on my desk right this second, but old school paper and pencil is the reason it's been around for thousands of years. Oh yeah. I was trying to find it. I, I also kind of migrated back to paper and pencil. So I have I kind of kept, uh, we developed an operational, annual operational improvement plan using mm-hmm. A3 thinking when I was at Chatham. I just kept that kind of my system and for me personally when, when I transitioned to telemedicine. And so you know, part of that is having an action plan on like what are my big improvement projects are for the year. So every Friday I go through that plan. I also use Trello. Um, but I print off that completion plan and then I write, just handwrite underneath that action plan what are my priorities the next week? Like little check boxes for work, but on the other, but I have a second column, and then I also write out what I'm going to do for professional development next week too. Right. Yeah, love it. love it. Paper and pencil can't can't go wrong. Can't beat it. Now I hope things like plugging in with the Healthcare Quality Cast podcast is on that professional development list. Absolutely. Shame, shameless plug. Um, there you go. <laughs> let's get back on script. Um, Brian, next question I have for you is that question. Um, I would love if you could share a favorite go-to website or mobile application for executing on the work that you lead. I'll give you both a website and an application. So to do it, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. It's like, you're like me and I'm an organizer. I love checking off stuff. Um, That's a great app to help keep you 
keep all your tasks in line. I actually, I develop leader standard work. And instead of having a piece of paper, because I always lost a piece of paper, I actually moved it into this app. So it's integrated on my iPhone, it's on my iPad, my MacBook here at home. And it's also integrated in my Outlook at work on my work computer. So definitely helpful. And the website I would recommend is the Clear website. I, I'll have to give you the address. I think it's like clear.berkeley.edu, I think. Um, but that's for the Center of Lead Engagement Research. I actually, I, I've been coaching uh, every year, a third year residents do a year-long QI project. And just to give you an example how useful this website is, they're working on inpatient discharge and in our inpatient service. And so you can go on their website. They have um, an online Zotero account, but you can, there's a link there, you can click it. And just whatever you're working on and want to learn more about, just type it in. So I, you know, type in inpatient discharge and it brought up like nine or eight articles that have been published on where people have done work in that area before. So it's just a great resource if you're starting somewhere new that you may not have worked before, see what's been done. Um, obviously you can't copy and paste everything, but at least it gets your mind thinking about what maybe to look for. Great, perfect. And Brian, I'll share this with you only because I just came across this yesterday, mm -hmm. um, but since you're a fan of Todoist, um, a new site that I just I just literally registered for yesterday and started playing around with last night called ClickUp. Oh, right, right from it. So this yeah. is this is really interesting, but it like can can pull all of your different to do lists and project lists and everything that you may be working on into one application. Mm, okay. And so yeah, I was listening to a podcast myself. They were talking about it. I checked it out. Um, I'm geeking out about it, but I'm only 24 hours in. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to look at that. All right. Perfect. Next question I have for you, Brian. I'd love if you could share with our quality people a professional society and a professional conference that you think will be a value add. Yeah. Over the years, I've, I've been involved with our local chapter of ACHE, American College of Healthcare Executives. Um, I think it's a great forum to your local chapters, I think it's a great forum to network with multidisciplinary group of professionals and talk about different challenges that are specific, healthcare challenges that are specific for your area. I also like it. It's not necessarily improvement focused, but it does get, it helps you establish that network, but you also you can find like-minded quality, you know, improvement-minded people, but it also gives you a platform to be an advocate for continuous improvement as well. Um, so I, that's been very fun. It's, it's also been, it's also fun to kind of, I was on there used to be on their education committee. I'm not serving this year on that, um, but actually taking lead and putting together panels on some topics that you wouldn't necessarily be working on directly. So it kind of helps you expand a little bit of your own mindset or knowledge. Um, the conference, I, you know, I've been to the Shingo International Conference twice. I would recommend that one. Reason for that, I've also been, I think twice now to Catalysis, um, Lean Healthcare Transformation Summits as well. Um, and there's some other ones I want to go to at some point too. Uh, but I do like the Shingo one because it is multi-industry. There's a lot of industries there. So it's just not healthcare. So it's just a chance to learn from people in different industries. And what was really cool is sometimes they also do fireside chats and they'll have like little field trips. So the last one I went to was in Cincinnati. And so after the main program, the second day, uh, me and one of my staff members, we took a field trip to the Georgetown, Georgetown uh, Toyota plant and got to go through that. And that was really cool um, to see all these actual lean processes actually in a Toyota plant and see how it was working. Awesome. 
when you mentioned you uh checked out the episode with skip that was shingo mm-hmm. was another thing i really wanted to jump on but i know we we went so far off script and he did such a yeah. great job talking about twi um mm-hmm. but yeah shingo is going to be another one that i really want to introduce to the to our audience here so um either yeah. yourself or skip um just be prepared i might have to hit you guys back yeah. up oh yeah and that's yeah we're definitely i think as i'm starting we're the value care and transformation work family medicine we're as we build their in business improvement system, whatever we we'll call it, uh, we're definitely use the Shingo model as kind of our foundation. And I, I would would put a plug in for value capture. Look those guys up. Yep. They are very helpful um, in helping with like Shingo education needs. Very responsive. Well, that's, well, that's a good point. I, I just connected with them not too long ago. So mm-hmm. um, perfect. More coming. Um, next question I have for you. I would love if you could recommend a book for our audience and share with us why it's a great recommendation. Well, when I was listening to Skip's podcast, he talked about humble inquiry from Dr. Edgar Schein. I would piggyback off that and give you a companion book of his that I think you should read alongside humble inquiry. And that is humble leadership. Um, it describes leadership as a process of learning, sharing, and building culture that's personal, trusting, open. I think it was like level, try to get to level two leadership. It's been a couple, maybe a year since I read it. Um, but it really helps. It talks through, um, getting past that transactional relationship to one that's more cooperative and build on mutual trust. And it's just a great companion piece for humble inquiry. All right. Perfect. And I just wrote it down. I'm sure I'll be checking audible for it, um, or, or Amazon for it as soon as we're done here. But Brian, you are right there at the very, very end of our, our conversation today. Um, I'm going to throw this last question at you, but just giving you the heads up that it's a personal favorite because I would love for you to reflect on your past as well as looking forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message 10 years into the past and one text message 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Past, that, that was a no-brainer. Um, <laughs> I would actually steal another phrase from my sensei, walk slow to run fast. Um, don't go, do not go faster than an organization is ready, you know, what they're ready for. You would take one step forward and five steps back. Be patient, beat people where they're at. That'll be my past. Future, I thought about that. And uh, what I, I, and I think I landed on definitely something that's very good that I'll definitely want to send myself in the future is whatever you're doing right now, I wrote it down so I won't forget. Whatever you're doing right now, stop. Are you still taking care of yourself? Go for a run, take a personal day to spend with your wife. All right. Well, that one will get you a lot of kudos and uh, extra points by spending that day yeah. with your wife. <laughs> but right. yeah, um, great messages on both sides of that, Brian. And I just want to say thank you so much again for uh, giving me the chance just to reconnect with you, man. It's been years oh, yeah. since the last time we've talked. Um, I'm so just inspired by everything you're doing, but just all of the recent transitions and movements and all the success you're having, man. This is really, really great to hear personally, just from me to you. So I appreciate that. And I know when our audience of quality people connect with this episode, um, I think your stories are gonna blow them away. So don't be surprised if folks are looking you up on LinkedIn and hopefully reaching out to connect. But um, Brian, before I let you go, mm-hmm. I love if you just give us that part and piece of advice um, and then also share the best way that our folks can follow or connect with you on social media and then we'll officially sign off. All right. Yeah, so it was, uh... 2017 Palm Springs, I think it was the last catalysis lean healthcare summit I went to. John Shook gave a presentation on lean leadership. I think that was actually a theme of the summit. 
And during the presentation, he showed a slide with like a cigar. Um, and underneath it, there was like a statement that said, this is not a pipe. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact conversation that he, what he was saying that day. But basically, can he down to him asking the crowd whether this was a cigar or a pipe? And of course, you know, half the crowd's like, it's a cigar and half is a pipe. And it kind of reminds me that that picture we've all saw when we, we usually people usually use when teaching paradigm where one person seeing a six, one person seeing nine. It kind of reminded me about that. Um, but the, the pick, the point that he was making was that continuous improvement the socio-technical system we know, a lot of us like refer to as link, is not a rigid system, but that as practitioners and leaders, we tend to treat the system as rigid. Um, so, you know, it's sometimes if people feel like they have to do Kaizen events or they have to do a project this certain way or a value stream mapping, you know, you have to have that that map on steroids of all those symbols um, where yeah, I, I found that easier to do. Your easy stick, you know, it's like a regular process map because sometimes you throw all the symbols of there kind of turns people off. Um, so that's just my parting advice to everyone, especially the listeners who are lean transformation leaders within organizations too. Um, and I, I think this again, I've read this in a book as well. If you've seen or experienced one lean transformation, you've only seen one or experienced one lean transformation. Um, your your job as a coach is to, I mean, every organization and culture are different. Your job as a coach is to meet the organization, it's people where they're at. Uh, you need to help them build systems so they can fulfill their mission and work towards achieving their strategic goals. Most importantly, you need to help them build systems to develop their people. Um, as the Ballets say, in the Goldmine Trilogy, that's another recommendation I should look up. Um, but they state that in the, the Goldmine, Lean is about structuring problem solving within the organization. It's, it's, in the end, it's the people that are going to move the organization forward. They are your most critical asset. So, you know, develop systems so that you can develop them and fully um, utilize them. Because if you don't, you may make improvement, but you won't see sustainable breakthrough improvement. You may lose people. And, you know, we talk about when people do leave, you use that implicit knowledge. They go with it. So that, that knowledge leaves with them. Um, so that's, that's kind of my parting advice is just recognizing you know, the, the found, you know, all the, th the thought leaders out there that kind of started with what we call lean today, they never meant for it to be the, this rigid system because they know organizations are different, cultures are different. Um, in the end, it's are we using the scientific method of problem solving? And then from there, you know, do what you can to meet people where they're at and help them move forward. Small steps. You're not trying to make leap. It's this those small step improvements. It's a series. I, I think I heard this one time before. You know, yeah, yeah. I think about lean transformation as a marathon. It's a, it's a series. It's a long series of small scale experiments. Perfect. Well, I was going to say spoken like a transformation expert, man. You're going to be a up and coming guru for sure. Um, I'm just honored again to say that I had you on my podcast first. <laughs> so. Thank you. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much again Thank for you. all of the time and all of the insights today um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us part of the day. This is Jarvis and Dr. Brian Wiggs, and we're signing off.